The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. Today is election day and I'm so excited to be joined by Chelsea Clinton, author of nine books, including the most recent children's book, Welcome to the Big Kids Club. Also, I don't know if you guys have seen it, you should watch it immediately the gutsy docu-series on Apple TV Plus. Chelsea, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you for those kind words about um, my show with my mom, Gutsy, and my books. And I'm happy to be here and happy Election Day, everybody. Yes. And one of the things I've been thinking a lot about Gutsy as we head into this Election Day, because it feels like whatever happens next is going to require some Gutsy women. And that it comes at a time where you know, this is the first election post-insurrection. It's also the first election where Roe has been overturned. So the stakes couldn't be higher. How are, how are you going into this election day mentally preparing for whatever happens, given the stakes? Yes. Well, the stakes are incredibly high. I mean, it certainly, to me, feels like such an existential moment for our democracy, for human rights, for everything I know, um, you know, you and I and and millions of Americans mm-hmm. um, care about. And certainly for me, um, that I care about you as a as a citizen, certainly, um, and particularly as a parent. It is an odd thing, though, now that we have early voting in New York, which I'm so thrilled that we have, um, so that it is easier for more people to exercise their fundamental right to vote. I voted last week, though. So it's sort mm-hmm. of like, yeah. you know, for most of my <laughs> Like, you know, life after I turned 18, whether I was voting, um, you know, when I was a student at Stanford and I voted in California or then, you know, when I moved to New York, um, it, I would get like so excited to be like, oh my gosh, it's election day and I get to go vote. And now I am so excited. It's election day, but I'm like, but I already voted, <laughs> and, but my sticker is still on my coat. Right. It was much colder last week, but I'll probably still wear it tomorrow, even if it's way unseasonably warm um, to be wearing a wool coat in the (laughs) weather we seem to be having in New York City. So um, I look, I hope that everyone, um, I hope that everyone votes. I I hope that everyone recognizes the stakes. I hope that it is not onerous for people to vote. I hope Mm -hmm. that turnout is high. I think that is good and healthy for our democracy when turnout is high, when we see people um, who are enfranchised and who are exercising their right to vote. and I also think that the more people who vote, hopefully, kind of then the more recognition there is of of truly all that is is at stake in this election. One of the other things I I've thought a lot about is there's this weird talking point that's come out in recent weeks where you know there's 300 candidates on the Republican side running that deny the results of the 2020 election, and one of the talking points that they've been using in the last couple of weeks are about the fact that 
Hillary didn't concede in 2016. Your mom, Hillary Clinton. Um, and I, I rem like she wore purple. I like I remember her outfit. And right? I was standing behind <laughs> her, Zerlina. Right. I was there. Like I had not just in a ringside seat. I was like, you know, arm's length could probably have poked her. Right. Um, so so there. I mean, what is your reaction when you hear Republicans running now denying the results of the 2020 election, which we sort of the moniker call the big lie? Um, but but with this idea that, oh, well, Hillary Clinton didn't concede the election when we all remember it. You were there. You know, I think I think a couple of things early on. I think that. um you know, the Republicans always want to make an election a referendum on on my mom or on, you know, President Obama, you know, or kind of their tried and true um, kind of mechanisms to kind of rile up their base because, you know, my mother is so reviled for, um, I think, being a woman, for being a strong woman for being a strong woman who supports other strong women who supports you know women's rights and gay rights and human rights um and you know fundamental decency and so i think it's a little bit about um that and i also think it's a little bit you know trying to exploit like the both sideism bias that we know is so pervasive in in so much of media where there is just this always kind of sense that there has to be a comparison, even though there is no comparison to um, not only um, Donald Trump's persistent denial of the 2020 election results, but also then that that persistent denial directly led to and catalyzed the white nationalist violent insurrection uh, on January 6th um, and has continued to inspire uh, violent intimidation of election officials, of Democratic candidates, of people trying to vote, um, you know, since. So I think it's a little bit about let's see if we can, like, once again, exploit Hillary Clinton to kind of get the base riled up, even though she's not running for anything. And I think it's a, a little bit about let's exploit kind of the both sidisms bias that we know, um, you know, the media really has to make it seem like not that big a deal. Right. They also, those early to continue to claim that like the people on January 6th, they, they were peaceful. And I'm like, really? Cause I watched it on live television. Right, we all did. And they were going to hang the vice president, a member of their own party. Right. They were looking for Nancy Pelosi to murder her. They were beating up Capitol Police officers. They were breaking through doors and windows. They were literally defecating and desecrating you know, the Capitol. They were carrying you know, traitorous Confederate flags to the Capitol. Like, nah, that was not peaceful in no. or fact. No, I mean, and it, it's such an important point to, to always go back to the fact that January 6th was a moment in which we did not have a peaceful transfer of power. That I mean, the the violence that we saw was evidence of the fact that something different was happening, um, where we were we were not peacefully transferring power from one president to the next. The president that was currently in office did not want to leave, and his supporters were going to, you know, stage a violent attack in order to keep him in power. But I also think about the recent attack on Paul Pelosi, the Speaker Pelosi's husband, and the normalization of political violence and political and violent rhetoric, frankly, 
um, in our politics. Can I just interrupt for one moment? I apologize for interrupting. I think, though, it is important um, to recognize that while um, the normalization of violence, which, you know, I think goes hand in hand with the kind of mainstreaming of hate that um, Donald Trump uh, personified and continues to personify in his language um, is, you know, has now been a, a feature, not a bug, but a feature of American politics, you know, mm-hmm. since his escalator ride in 2015. I think, though, something uh, profoundly disturbing, you know, has happened in the aftermath of the attack on Speaker Pelosi's husband, which is not only the continued normalization of very real violence, um, including against kind of vulnerable people. I mean, he is a man in his 80s, mm-hmm. um, but also the celebration of that violence and the mockery of what the speaker's husband endured in the terror of that attack and in his kind of recovery sense. And to me, that is a further um Coarsening feels like too mild a word, a, a further kind of just denigration of our of our social fabric, the kind of gleeful celebration of what he suffered. So not only the acceptance of it, I think we were already at the mm. point of like, oh, yeah. well, this is just like the cost of being in public life. Like this is just the cost of being in politics. But now it's like, oh, not only is it the cost, but it's funny. Like, right. Oh, no, that- it's funny that that happened to you. We're going to mock it and make fun of you um because as adam sewer you know so i think poignantly said now many years ago the cruelty is the point and now it's also Mm -hmm. used for laughter no it's it's such an important part of the escalation i think in in sort of going beyond just normalization as you said and i feel like the media in this particular moment i try really hard on the show every day to just speak the truth because i think the threats to democracy like you can't really sugarcoat it post-insurrection. Like maybe you could have before there was an attack on the Capitol, but after the attack on the Capitol, we should be pretty clear about what we're dealing with in terms of um, the threats to the democracy, the threats to our voting systems, um, and and the rhetoric that we've been speaking about. But I think ultimately, and and I want an optimistic tone we're on the precipice of something. I was just talking recently to Representative Viana Presley, who's, who talked about how we're we're on we're at an inflection point, and so we can go backwards, and and we can, um, you know, take away rights from even more groups of people beyond just women and people who can get pregnant, or we can emerge as this multiracial democracy um, that we're clearly growing towards, but a lot of elements within the American public are afraid of that, and I think we're living through a lot of that. Um, clash. When you think about how we can sort of look to the future, I mean, what, what are some of the things you look about, think about in the future that give you hope, um, that make you feel excited about um, the future of this country? Get, I mean, there's a lot at stake, but we're also on the cusp of some cool things, I, I hope. Well, I think I, I, I would say, Zerlina, I don't even have to look to the future. Like, I can look to the present. Mm. Um, you know, I can look at, you know, people um 
you know, like Shannon Watts, who mm-hmm. you know, certainly is someone who has refused to accept the status quo on gun violence and you know, the many millions of largely moms, mm-hmm. as, as implied by the name Moms Demand Action, but also people who are not parents, um, you know, certainly deserve a lot of credit for the first real, you know, uh, gun safety regulations to pass, you know, since my dad was in office. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can, and that happened this year, right? So the reason I mentioned that is I do think it is important that we um, are aware of um, of the progress that has happened, right? Or the largest mm-hmm. investment ever in American history in, um, in green energy, or, you know, the largest effort you know, in decades on student loan reform, Mm -hmm. all of those examples are like the product of activists, you know, like Shannon, who are working in in other areas who are applying not only like, you know, pressure on um, elected officials, but, but kind of pressure with really like practical solutions that can gain enough support to then, you know, translate into votes so that, you know, bills to help build a, kind of more equitable, fair, sustainable um, country, you know, wind up on the president's desk. Or even, you know, thinking about like my original home state of Arkansas, like Mm -hmm. the Biden administration just approved the additional Medicaid waiver that the super Republican governor, Asa Hutchinson, had requested so that more dollars could be invested in Arkansas to tackle maternal health, including to tackle um, black maternal health. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... I either can think, oh my gosh, like people don't recognize the stakes. And I think that is true. I think a lot of people don't recognize the stakes. Or I can think I have to do everything that I can to try to help people recognize the stakes like today on election day and in the days leading up to today. And also um, help people understand that like who you put into power really does matter. Um, because look at all of these examples that we can see at a federal level, but also you can see at a state level. And then you can also see um, what happens when you put people in power at a state level, you know, like Governor DeSantis, who doesn't believe in um, kind of a fundamental right to healthcare or good kind of public health investments as he's looked to kind of cut back on Florida Medicaid or he's looked to cut back on the Florida State Public Health Department or certainly, you know, with the completely um, just offensive, terrible, destructive, mm-hmm. um, you know, don't say gay efforts throughout the state. So, you know, I think I think there's so many points of optimism and they become even more, I think, clear when in stark relief to like the retrogrades right. and the people that are not interested in helping their constituents lead like longer, healthier, more prosperous, you know, more equitable lives. I love all of that. And I feel like focus on you know, some of the progress that's being made as opposed to focusing on, as I reminded um, all of our listeners last week when I spoke to your mom, um, she got more votes. I always like to point that out. People are like, there's all these people that support Donald Trump. So many people support Donald Trump, Donald Trump's base, this and that. And I'm always like, there were more people um, that supported Hillary Clinton. And And there there were a lot lot of, a lot of more, and there were a lot more people who supported, um, you know, President Biden, exactly. right? Despite like it was not a close. No, <laughs> it wasn't close. Was not close. Um, one of the other questions I had, you mentioned Shannon Watts and Gutsy Women um 
the book and also the Apple TV Plus uh, series Gutsy um, focuses on so many women that I admire. Um, you know, I, I remember when my sister first told me to listen to Megan the Stallion and I was like, okay. Um, and I was like, there's something different about this. <laughs> there's something different about this um, than, than a lot of other women um, in rap and in hip hop. And it's because she has agency in her music. She is in charge and she is the one who is like, has full bodily autonomy and agency. And I felt like there was something really radical and feminist about that. And so I love her as well. So I love that you featured her, but also Shannon and Jamel Hill and so many of the other women, even women that we have never heard of before. I mean, talk a bit about how that series came about and, and why you think people of all backgrounds should watch it. Because I think stories like that of, of regular people doing extraordinary things, I'm so inspired by those stories. Oh, well, thank you, Zerlina. Um, you know, well, the the series came about because my mom and I had written kind of the book of Gutsy Women that came out in 2019, which, you know, really was a continuation of a conversation that like we've had for as long as I can remember. I mean, my mom and my grandmothers and, and my dad, I need to give him credit too, but particularly my mom, you know, always made a point of bringing kind of strong um, women into my life. Sometimes they were fictional women like Nancy Drew. Sometimes it was like taking me to see, you know, strong, powerful women like Geraldine Ferraro when she campaigned in Little Rock in 1984 or Lottie Shackelford, who was the mayor when I was a little girl. Um, and so when we decided we wanted to work on something together, I was just mindful of how I was trying to, you know, do what my mother had done you know, with not only my daughter, but with my sons. And so that was the genesis of the book. And then we had the chance to turn it into a series with Apple TV Plus. And I think understandably, Apple wanted us to focus on um, on living women. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Admittedly, a lot of the women that we uh, write about in the book, like including my grandmothers, who were and remain such inspirations to me with their gutsiness, you know, were, were no longer with us. And so, you know, that... Um, open though kind of the exciting world of then like who who would we be able to who would we want um mm -hmm. to kind of help um not only illuminate but really personify these characteristics of of gutsiness of kind of perseverance and purpose um in in different ways but still kind of very similar to what we wrote about in the book and it was really important to us that we have um people across generations. So I think that, you know, the youngest uh, person that we feature, um, uh, Judy is a, a musician with her mom, Miriam. I think when we filmed with her, Judy was 12. Um, and the oldest person, you know, that we speak with uh, in the series is just the absolutely amazing kind of singular um, Dolores Huerta, who's... Mm -hmm. 92. I think she was 91 when we spoke with her. Um, and important to us that there be a mix of people that um, probably everyone would have heard of, like mm -hmm. Megan Stallion, but may not actually know um, how fully she is herself mm -hmm. in not only her music, but in her life and like mm -hmm. how I think that is something we need to really celebrate as women. Um, people that some someone may have heard of like you know if you care about gun violence prevention you probably have heard of Shannon Watts but if you if that's not one of the issues you're most focused on you may not have heard of her but we think 
her story has something to teach all of us. Or you mentioned Jamel Hill as well. If you follow sports, um, you have probably you know heard of her, listened to her, seen her, read her work. But if you're not a big like sports person, you may not have like seen her on ESPN or read her you know, in the Atlantic or listened to her podcast. Um, but I think her story too has so much to kind of teach all of us and inspire us um, even beyond like her work as a sports journalist. So I hope that um, it really does um, kind of inspire people, but also inspire conversations and, and inspire people to think about, you know, for women in particular, like how they've been gutsy or to think about how their, you know, their moms, their grandmothers, their uh, teachers, their mentors, their friends, their daughters, their sisters, you know, have, have been gutsy too in, um, in, in visible and maybe less visible ways. It's so, so true. And I, I think we can take that inspiration and no matter what happens um, in today's elections, I mean, I don't think they're going to be counting up uh, the, the votes. Uh, we're not going to know for a little while in terms of all of the results. Um, and there will be a lot to process. Um, but one of the things that we are doing together um, in the couple of weeks after um, the midterm election day is the Women's Voices Summit at the Clinton yes. Presidential Center. And so I wanted to end um, by giving us something to look forward to because, you know, nothing is going to like be solved by the midterm elections. There are still going to be persistent issues. We're going to have to continue to fight and we need inspiration. So talk a bit about why um, it's so important to come, come together across generations in a moment like the Women's Voices Summit. Yes, well, thank you, Zerlina, and thank you again for, um, you know, mentioning kind of across generations, because I do think that um, sometimes um, everything can always feel new to younger people. Mm -hmm. I certainly have this um, challenge at times in my life, and I think had it even, even more so, you know, 20 years ago. And so we do really hope that these kind of intergenerational, multi-generational conversations, um, you know, really, you know, focused on not only here in the U.S. but around the world, because women's rights, mm -hmm. opportunities, and agency are under threat in so many places simultaneously, um, will hopefully help us, you know learn from and kind of gain optimism from what has worked in the past and in the present um, and hopefully help us all um, kind of be in community together because I think solidarity is important and community is important and also um, to help us just feel all the more um, kind of confident in whatever we're going to do next because we know there is going to be so much to do next to your point about whatever happens today like there's just always always so much work and particularly so much work um, to do now to kind of regain, protect, mm -hmm. advance um, women's rights and opportunities. Exactly. And I, I, I love coming together. I think the community piece is so important and we, we sort of need that um, coming together in community to sort of 
recharge <laughs> our engine so that we can yeah. continue to fight. Um, it's the Women's Voices, Women's Votes, Women's Rights. It's an international summit, December 1st and 2nd um, at the uh, Clinton Presidential Center. And I'm so excited to be joining. I'm emceeing with my friend, my good friend and former campaign colleague, Paula Ramos from Vice. And so it's going to be really great. I'm I'm always, um, I miss being, sharing space with people. I mean, COVID makes that difficult, but I'm excited um, to be sharing this space um, so we can all be inspired to keep fighting. Chelsea Clinton, it's been great to have you today on election day. I feel really privileged and honored to to have you on a day like today. And I hope that folks on the beginning of their election day feel inspired um, no matter what happens. Yes, well, thank you, Zerlina. And I would just say, um, at the risk of belaboring, I know what probably everyone is saying today. If you haven't voted yet, please vote. Um, and Zerlina, thank you so much for having me on. It's always just such a joy and, and privilege and pleasure to, uh, to talk with you. Thank you so much for being here today. We're going to take a very quick break. We'll be right back after this. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.